Our reading this evening is from Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 to 38, and that can be found on page 1117 in the Pew Bibles. So Acts chapter 20, reading from verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Um, if you'd like to grab, grab a Bible um, in front of you, um, it's on page one, or two, 1117 tonight. We're in Acts chapter 20. And so let me just give you a moment to do that. And as you're doing it, let, let me pray for us uh, this evening. Father God, we thank you tonight for again being in amongst your people again. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is a living and active word. And Father, as we've been singing, our desire is to be in your presence. And Father, as we come to your word, we pray for your spirit to be our teacher and for you to be honored and glorified in how we read the scriptures and how we apply it to our lives. Lord, help us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please keep that passage open in front of you. With growing apathy to Christianity and even conflict with it, with declining church membership, with more and more churches closing as the years go on, some of the big questions being asked is, 
how do we make our services more attractive to non-church secular folk? What should be our engagement in the community? Another question is what kind of leadership or Christian ministry should we be involved in to be progressing and relevant today? And I guess for many of us, that is a big question. And you may be here tonight thinking, you know, that passage is really for elders and leaders. But if you're a church member here tonight, you should be worried about what Acts 20 says, and you should be concerned about the leadership and the Christian ministry that you're going to sit under for many years to come. And this conversation about leadership and ministry isn't just conserved or reserved for within the church. Popular media has also had its say about church, faith, and particularly church leadership and ministry. The controversial and oftentimes blasphemous TV show Father Ted aired in 1995, and it sought to highlight where Christian ministry and leadership was at as it captured the lives of the priests, Father Ted Crilly, Father Dougal Maguire, and Father Jack Hackett. The portrayal of these characters at times was hilarious comedy, at times very edgy, but deep down people identified with the reality of where the church was at and how its leadership and its ministry was played out. Or take another example, the Vicar of Dibley, a prime example of setting in rural England with the parish committee and their first female vicar. Again, it tries to capture with humor what ministry and leadership looks like within the church, even if at times it was very stereotypical of a country parson. And in more recent years, there's been a renewed effort to capture what Christian ministry and leadership looks like in the highly acclaimed TV series, Rev, starring Tom Hollander as Reverend Sam Smallburn. Anyone ever seen this program? Just a matter of interest. Okay. It actually captures the Anglican church and where the leadership is probably at in its current state. Here is a vicar serving in inner city church in East London. The series tracks Adam's attempts to come to terms with ministry in the city, the relevance of the church, faith, and the ever-changing times both facing him and his parishioners. It tells us something about church ministry and leadership, even on a popular level. Now, whether you agree with Father Ted, with the vicar of Dibley, or with the Rev program as it betrays Christian ministry and leadership, it does to the populace communicate something about the state of the church and the state of Christian leadership and ministry today. But what should Christian ministry and leadership be like? What should its be focused be on? This isn't just for leaders. This is also for church members. The passage before us tonight goes a long way in answering some of these questions because what we have in this passage before you tonight is Paul's review of his own ministry and leadership, but also his farewell words to the elders at Ephesus. And we can learn much about Christian leadership and ministry from these exact passages before us. Have a look at it for a moment. Paul is in Miletus in verse 17. He sends word to Ephesus for the elders to come to him, a three-day journey. Paul knows that this will at last be the last time he sees them. And verses 18 to 26, 
Paul reminds these leaders, these elders, of all that he has done among them through his ministry and leadership. But look at the distinctive traits of Paul's ministry and leadership. Verse 19, he says, do you see it there? I serve the Lord. In verse 19, he says, you know, 18, he said, you know how I lived among you. I serve the Lord. What a simple statement to make, yet profoundly deep in this time, that the apostle could say during his time among them, I served the Lord. You see, for Paul, God was his Lord. The one who called him to preach the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles, it was God he was serving ultimately. And there's a timely reminder for us today, for leaders and pastors, for church members, that elders and leaders have also been called to serve the Lord. Whether you're in different ministries or different organizations, that ultimately it is the Lord you are serving for his honor and glory. It is to him you are accountable. But so often we get stuck or bogged down in serving the organization, the people, and there's nothing wrong with that. And the danger with that often is that when those things become criticized, like organizations or, or even what we're doing, we become deeply offended. But Paul could say, I serve the Lord. He's the one that I am ultimately serving. Yes, I am serving the people, but ultimately I'm serving the Lord. And Paul teaches us here that this is our ultimate calling as leaders, as elders, that we are to serve the Lord. The second thing he says, do you notice it in verse 19? How does Paul serve the Lord? What traits, what characteristics? He says, with great humility. Many of you here tonight at some point, I'm sure in your life, have gone for an interview of some sort. And one of the pressures, I think, with going for any sort of interview is that you need to sell yourself, isn't it? You need, you're told, you know, big it up. Forget about the CV and lies. Just big up the CV, pad it out, and sell yourself. Big up your skills, your ability, your personality, and communicate, this is my job, and I'm on your team. But where does humility come into it? Because biblical humility is not about knocking yourself down, but rather it is about seeing yourself in the reality of what God has done for you and is doing for you. And Paul illustrates here, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility. He says to the people, and some of us might think that's a bit arrogant, but he says, you know what I was like. I served the Lord with great humility. And Paul could write about in Ephesus and Ephesians, he said this about himself. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul himself sees himself as a servant of the gospel. This gospel was given to him as a gift, undeserving. He didn't earn it or receive it because of his gifting or ability or personality. It was given to him by God. And so Paul makes God's gospel known and he serves the Lord with great humility among the Ephesians. Paul could say to them, you know how I lived. Christian ministry and Christian leadership looks like this. It is the serving of the Lord ultimately. It is with great humility, just like Paul did here, who himself was only following in the Lord's footsteps, who served his father and others with great humility, despite being God himself. There is, in all of our hearts, 
a deep-seated craving for greatness, to be recognized, to be exalted, to be that desire to be honored, to have a reputation and power. But you know something? As you read this passage tonight before us, it's not gospel ministry and leadership. What is it? It is serving the Lord with great humility, realizing what God has done for you, realizing that the gift or the abilities or even the position that you have been put in has been a gift of God's grace to testify to that grace. So Paul served the Lord with great humility. But you see also what he served them with in that verse, verse 19, with tears. Paul says he served them with tears. There is a model of Christian ministry and leadership which communicates that emotion is not to be displayed, that stiff upper lip. You are not to show weakness. You are not to show that you are emotionally showing off in any way. And yet Paul here testifies to the fact that while serving the Lord in Ephesus, there were times when it was with tears. He was emotionally involved with those he ministered to. There were the highs, if you go back to Acts, when those from, who were involved in sorcery converted, I'm sure he got a high from it, delighted that the Lord had changed these people's lives, that they were burning books in the center of Ephesus, showing that they had turned away from Christ, from, from idols to Christ. But there was also the lows, the hardships, the being tested by the Jews, as the end of verse 19 says. There were many hours given to the teaching of the scriptures in Ephesus with little result. You see, being involved in Christian ministry and leadership brings its tears. Some may be publicly displayed, but a lot are shed in private. And for Paul, he served the Lord with great humility, with tears. And again, later we see that displayed. See verses 36 and 37 at the very end. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And if you look at verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1, and after we had torn ourselves away from them, here is Paul engaged emotionally. You cannot just go through the emotions, distant, not experiencing the highs and the lows of those you share life and gospel with, even at work, even amongst the church family. Jesus himself shed tears over Jerusalem over its last state. And Paul here in these verses highlights the distinctiveness of his leadership and his ministry as he served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And wouldn't it be strange for Christian leaders and elders not to be emotionally engaged in those they share the gospel and the Christian life with? Fourthly, and we see another characteristic of Paul's ministry and leadership, and it's found in verses 20 and 21. Do you see it there where it says this? I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. The word hesitate here means to not shrink back from teaching and preaching that which would be helpful. All right? So he says, I serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and now he says, I preached what was helpful to you. Later on, he will say, I preached the whole counsel of God. Let me demonstrate this word, hopefully, of hesitating, of not shrinking back um, by using an illustration from a hurling term. As a kid growing up playing hurling, 
and as it is with rugby and hockey too, I'm sure, you're taught early on how to tackle your opponent. And in hurling, that means going shoulder to shoulder with the guy beside you, going knee to knee, as it were, as the ball comes in between the two of you, you're taught as a young kid to go shoulder to shoulder, knee to knee, and then the two hurlies come together in the middle. All right? I can still hear the coach's voice in my head telling me this, don't shrink back. Don't hesitate. Commit yourself 100% to the tackle. All right? And the reason for that being is that if you don't commit yourself 100%, you'll either get a sore hand as the other hurley comes across your hand, or you'll get a very sore knee from the bang that will come in off the hurley. And the problem is that coaches would say, don't hesitate. Don't pull back. Don't shrink back, despite the size or the strength of the other player. And that is what Paul is saying here. He's saying to them, I didn't shrink back from preaching or teaching these people. I didn't shrink back from teaching them the whole counsel of God, as you see in verse 27. Everything he preached was helpful for them, good for them, over two and a half years that he spent in Ephesus. And the question is this, how easy it would be for Paul to shrink back. Look at verse 21, what he preached about. How easy it would have been to shrink back in verse 21, to not say to them, you need to repent, or to not say to them, to talk to them about sin, that dirty word. Nobody talks about sin anymore, Paul. But Paul says, I didn't shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God, which included in verse 21, repentance, sin, faith in the Lord Jesus. This community believed in multiple idols and gods. To come along and say that Jesus is Lord and exclusively him, you're daft, Paul. He didn't shrink back. And even today, that pressure is still very real and increasingly so for all who have a teaching role in the church, be it Sunday school, youth, in your own home even, and particularly for elders and pastors and teachers. The pressure is building both within and outside the church to shrink back from preaching and teaching about creation and God, about sin. You can't tell a child that they're sinful. It'll ruin their low self-esteem. What the scriptures teach? Do we shrink back from doing that? Do we do it in a winsome manner? Yes. What about relationships and marriage? Do we shrink back from teaching our children about what marriage is, what relationships and the context it is from Scripture? What about the Lordship of Jesus? What about Christian accountability? You see, there is a pressure even today. And Paul, in his Christian leadership and ministry, was saying, I didn't shrink back from teaching them the whole counsel of God, and I didn't shrink back from teaching them what was good and helpful for them. And then we see Paul's motivation in verse 24. Do you see it? What should be the Christian's motivation in leadership and ministry? Notice Paul's in verse 24. It says this, and let's read verse 24 and see what it says. It says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I don't know if you saw much of the Rio um, Olympics this summer, but it's confession time. I got glued to one competition 
and it was one of the weirdest ones I've seen, but most captivating. It was a 50-kilometer walk race. Anyone else watch it? Anyone else? Somebody at the back. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> Bizarre race, and you think, oh, how am I going to stick this out for 50Ks? Um, I entered it halfway through, and there was a Frenchman called Johan Dinez. I don't know if you've ever heard of him and he's coming up on the screen, I think, in a minute, who was leading the walk race after 30 kilometers and 20 to go in blistering heat. But at the 30-kilometer mark, you'll see him here. Look, at, they walk funny, don't they? Um, all of a sudden, at the 30-kilometer mark, while leading, he stopped and was leaning against the, the railings at the side, utterly um, spent. He then, a few minutes later, after a bit of cold water, got up again and started walking. At this stage, he'd been overtaken by a few walkers. And then all of a sudden, this happened to him. He just collapsed completely on the ground. Now, if you're a doctor here tonight, you're going, was there something wrong with him? But this boy got up again, and he kept going, and he kept going. And there was a part where I felt somebody should step in here. Somebody should take this poor man and get him off the course, maybe some of his supporters or the runners alongside him. He came seventh in the race. It was a grueling race and hard to watch at times. As he started to get stomach cramps, which had its own effect on him, dehydration, but he kept going. And whether he was mental or mad is the big question, but he finished the race seventh. And afterwards, there was much discussion about whether or not he should have been pulled out of the race for his own safety because of dehydration and whether he was thinking straight. But one commentator on the TV, who himself was an Olympian, said this, you don't get it. It's the sheer challenge for these boys. And his only motivation was to finish the race. And this boy, that's what he did. He finished the race. He came seventh and then collapsed over the line. And that seems to be Paul's motivation too. He wants to finish the race and task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul would write later in his life to Timothy, the young pastor, and he would say this about him. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. And you see, Paul's motivation in Christian leadership and ministry is to finish the race, the Christian walk, and also the task that God had given him. And for all of us here, the greatest challenge will be finishing the race and the task that God has set out for you. For some of us, that will be in the work environment for the rest of your days until you retired, being a witness for Christ there. For others, it'll be walking the race despite illness setbacks and frustrations. Serving and being part of a local church could be your task and your walk and your race. Parenting, bringing up those children in the ways of the Lord, being married or single could be your task or race that God has given you specifically. And may we be like the writer to the Hebrews who we'll look at later in this term where he says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Johann Dinez's motivation was to finish the race, come seventh. Our motivation is keep our eyes on Jesus, to finish the race that he's called us to do and the task. 
and we see this clearly in Paul's ministry and leadership among the Ephesians. These are the traits leaders should have and esteem to have. These are the things needed to be looked for in Christian ministry and leadership. And this is what you as church members should desire and pray for when it comes to your leaders as well. From verse 28 onwards, do you see it there? Paul addresses the elders of the church, knowing that this is his farewell speech to them. And it's not really a motivational speech. It's not really, you're brilliant, you're very gifted, you'll finish this out as a farewell speech. In fact, tonight, as we finish out, I wanna finish with two headings with regards to the eldership here. And the first, I wanna go reverse order. Verses 29 and 31, Paul gives them a warning. He says, the wolves are coming. Paul refers to, do you see it there in verses 29 and 31? Refers to wolves here as false teachers. And notice that they come from both within and outside the flock of God. Paul is conscious that after he leaves these people, there will be false teachers who will come in and they will not spare the flock. Just like real wolves among sheep, they will devour and scatter and break up the flock. These false teachers, do you see the, end, the, the characteristics of they distort the truth and draw followers of Jesus after themselves. This warning by Paul regarding false teachers is still as relevant today. One commentator that I read about, Chris Green, a former lecturer of mine, said this, we're all potential wolves, he said. He said, even as you look at your leaders, your teachers, they have the potential to be wolves, distorting the truth, follow the leader, devouring the flock. And he said, we need to be humble as we teach about this, because Paul's warning is still as relevant today when he speaks to the Ephesian elders as it is to us today. There are those who will devour the flock of God. There are those who distort the truth. That's why you should have a Bible open in front of you so that you can question and see it for yourselves. There will be those who will have follow the leader games going on. And one way God in his goodness and providence uses to combat this devastation on the people of God is through the elders. And this takes us to our second heading, the calling, the wolves are coming, and then the calling of the elders. God has put in place elders, leaders, pastors, teachers. And notice what verse 28 says. It says, keep watch over yourself and the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is addressed specifically to the elders or teachers, that you're to keep watch over your life and your doctrine. We've got to understand, don't we, that life and doctrine are not static things. They change. They're influenced by certain teachings, experiences that you have, and pressures that are put on you. And so those in leadership need to be reviewing, evaluating their life and doctrine closely over time so that it's in line with the teachings of the Scriptures. But also, do you notice, being called to be an elder, an overseer, means watching the flock, the people of God. The second half of verse 28 says, be shepherds of the flock, 
Just like the shepherd of Jesus' day would have helped the sheep by bringing them to green pastures, fighting for them, protecting them against any dangers, he would have helped them as they were ailing and sick. So the leadership within a local church, Jesus says, or God's word says, be shepherds of the flock. Care for them. Defend. Protect. Especially from false teachers, distorting truth and following the leader. I wonder, and I mean this graciously because this, this passage challenges me, I wonder if we lost this biblical emphasis for eldership today in the church, where elders now are mere postmen, delivering the latest church publication, or they end up discussing the next carpet color or the wall color in the church. That's not what they're meant to do biblically. We see here they are to watch their lives closely, watch over the flock. Who cares about the next color of the carpet? Who cares about the next wall color? What we should be caring for is the people, defending, protecting, watching over the flock of God. Have we lost the sense that elders are under shepherds, under God, who is the great shepherd of his people, like Peter says in his epistle? The elders given the God-given role of spiritual and pastoral oversight in the church, and guess what? Members of the church need to be aware of that too, that they have been given this role of spiritual and pastoral oversight. But let me give you a confidence booster with this. What confidence can the leadership have in doing this role? Not a confidence in their own savviness or ways or experience, but rather in the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is what's going to help the elder be watchful over their own life. The Word of God is the ultimate protector of the flock when it comes to truth and defending, bringing them together. The Word of God is what's going to teach them truth. Look at verse 32. Paul says in verse 32, at the very end, now I commit you to God and to the Word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What a beautiful way to end. Now I commit you to God. Last time I'll see you, and I commit you to the Word of His grace, which can build you up. False teachers will distort the truth, scatter the flock, destroy them. The Word of God does the opposite. But do you notice the Trinitarian work involved in the eldership and the flock of the church in verse 28? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're shepherds of the flock of God, which he has purchased by his blood through Jesus. The people of God are precious to him. They're precious to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the calling to be an elder is appointed by God. And the calling is one that we must bear in mind that God gave his precious son to purchase these people for themselves. So no matter how silly at times, and I include myself in that, the people of God are, no matter how slow we are to learn, no matter how annoying they are, the calling is to teach them God's words, to protect and defend, to care for them and love them because they are God's precious people bought with his son's precious blood. Let me close with a couple of application. Don't rush into being an elder <clears throat> because of popularity. Years of service done means nothing. I, see that, I don't see that as a credible emphasis here. Reputation in business, school, the Lord doesn't want that. He calls for character and certain giftings. Be praying for your elder and our elders here at Bloomfield. 
don't vote in elders if they're not what the scriptures say about them in character and gifting. But you know what else? Desire and pray for this type of Christian leadership and ministry. Look to the scriptures to see what the Christian ministry and leadership is all about. It's not the Father Ted's of this world, the Vicar of Dibley, or even Rev, but it is one that seeks to serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and focuses on the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. If you're an elder here tonight, keep watch over your life and over the flock of God, which he's called you to do. And how are you going to do that? By using the Word of God. What a challenging passage for us tonight about Christian ministry and Christian leadership in a, in a world where Christianity is failing in many circles, in which there are pressures on leadership and ministry to do certain things in order to attract people in. The Word of God here tonight clearly emphasizes we're here to serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and bring the whole counsel of God, but we're also to watch over our lives and that of the flock. Let me pray for us as we... Father God, we thank you for your word to us tonight. And Father, like we were reading about in James, it is like a mirror to us. And Father, as we look at what Christian ministry and leadership looks like and how it's modeled, Father, there are those of us in leadership and eldership who look at it and go, Lord, we've failed. We've struggled to live up to the gifting and the character traits that eldership and leadership should be displaying. Father, we pray that you will reorientate our heart's desires, that it will be to serve you, that it will be to do that with great humility, realizing that we are sinners rescued and saved by God and given a task and a race to run out. Lord, help us to be emotionally engaged. Lord, help us in every context, whether that's with children, adults, or across the board, that we would use the full counsel of God, your word, to bring hope and life to people. Father, we pray for our elders here in this place. We pray that they will be watchful over their lives. Father, we pray that they will care well for the flock of God, which your son purchased with his own blood. And Father, today we pray for each member of the church, each family and individual who comes in, that their desire for Christian ministry and leadership will not be the latest fad or the trendy or even the traditional, but Lord, it will be what your word says and desires. Father, plant that deep within us that we may see Christian leadership and ministry displayed and modeled in this place with great humility, we ask. Lord, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for our failings. And we pray, Lord, that you will do this so that your people will be edified and built up, that they will love your word rather than distort it, rather than being following the leader, rather than um, looking to others, we pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight, and we pray that you will help us to mull it over this coming week for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, through our offering, we return to you a small token of what you have given to us. 
And as we reflect on how Damien has opened up your word, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to the things that you would have us hear, to the ways that you would like us to respond. And Lord, as we think of how Paul said goodbye to the Ephesian elders, we think of people that we have said goodbye to over recent days. Lord, we pray for Ruth Moore as she travels to Manchester this evening. Lord, we ask you to be with her as she settles into her new school, a new church, and a new community. Lord, we think of Helen as she makes her final preparations for returning to Japan. We pray for a safe flight and journey back to her home in Sapporo, and that you would give her the strength and the energy she needs um, to establish her life back there again. And we think of her upcoming prayer drive and pray for safety and a real sense of direction and understanding of your vision for the work of OMF in the next few years. And Lord, we think about our young people going to university, um, some for the first time and some who are well used to the routine. Lord, um, it's our dear prayer that you would keep them close to you. Lord, that you would give them friends who will guide them on the right path and that they would be um, kept safe and protected in all that we do, all that they do. Lord, thank you that we can, we can trust you to look after those that we love, no matter where they are in the world. Lord, help us to trust you and to uphold them to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>